everybody. This is Grit, the show formerly known as Quit. It's all about change, the challenges of improving your career, making tough decisions, and starting something awesome. Today is Friday. We usually do record this show on Friday. It's November 28th, 2014. I am Dan Benjamin. Uh, here in the physical studio with me is uh, Hattie Cook. Hi, Hattie. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing lovely. How are you? Good. And joining us uh, virtually from her virtual world mm-hmm. is uh, somebody who also has a show uh, right here on, on 5x5. Did you know that? I did know that. It's a, it's a show called Isometric. Did not start on 5x5. We'll talk about that. Her name is Brianna Wu. And you, uh, you probably know her also as a creator of, uh, of some games people seem to, to really enjoy on their, uh, on their iPads. But she is a uh, founder, creator of uh, a company. Can I say that, Bree? Is that yeah. safe to say? I mean, that's what you do. You say you're head of development, but you created the company. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this is actually my third major startup that I've launched. So, uh, yeah, this is old hat to me by now. I'm and, sure you can, you know, relate to that. Yeah. A giant space cat. That's it. That's it. And you are on Twitter, space cat gal, when the, the cat is with a K. That's absolutely correct. That's accurate. That is correct. And uh, <laughs> all, people may also know you for some other reasons, which we'll, which we'll get to. Oh, man. We yeah, have to. We yeah. have to. You can't ignore it. No, them. no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm very used to it. There's no question you can ask me at this point. <laughs> no, I believe heard. it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you are, where, where do you, uh, you're up way up in the Northeast. You're in Boston. Boston. We are. We're in Boston. It's crazy. Yeah, I grew it's up cold. in Mississippi. Oh, it's the old miserable. Miss. It's the old miserable. Man. Old Miss. Old Miss. <laughs> yeah. Party in the Grove. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bears slash Colonel Reb. <laughs> grew up with it. Loved it. And now I'm here living in Hoth. Literally. That's right. So it's horrible. It's very difficult. So tell me, first of all, you know, I think it's important to uh, to talk first about what it is you're doing now, because the road mm-hmm. that you have uh, taken to get there is is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. There is there, you came out with a, a game, which yep. I would I would call a video a video game. <laughs> it's called Revolution Sixty. That's it, and. This thing took you something like three years to make, right? Yeah, it did. It did. I actually, can I tell you the truth? Tell me the truth. I was inspired to start my company. This is, if you go back to 2010, um, with 5 by 5 And I had I'd gotten married to my husband. And you, Wait, you married him because of me? Aww. You married him because no, no, of me? Wait, hold on, let me finish the story. Let me finish the story. So we had moved to Boston. And, um, you know, like many people, when I got married, I quit my job uh, to, you know, go live with my husband in California. Right. And we found ourselves in Boston, and I was like, well, what am I going to do from here? Do I want to keep doing, you know, uh, doing freelance illustration for a living? Um, you know, do I want to go back and get a graduate degree? And Five by Five uh, had, you know, you guys were starting up at that point. And I was listening to you obsessively. Nice. And it was in 2010, and I told myself, like, I'd had a dream my entire life to launch a video game studio. Wow. And listening to Hypercritical and, you know, all the shows of that era, it gave me the personal confidence to go out there and chase my dream and become a developer. So I'm telling you in all sincerity, 5x5 five five is part of why I have my company today. That's amazing. Well, that's mm-hmm. so cool. God, yeah, I love yeah. stories like that. That's the best. That makes it well, all worth it. 
Well, I mean, think about it from my point of view, um, because a lot of times when, you know, like guys that are developers, they kind of have friendships that maybe they might take for granted a little bit. But for me, it was a real glimpse into developer talk and like what the issues were right. and how to make things happen in a way I'd really. And it was it was kind of an informal training. Does that make sense to you? Like what I needed to start thinking about yeah. as, a, as a developer and somebody just launches studio. So, you know, um, I, I just I'm very thankful for, you know, your network. Wow. Well, thanks for saying that. That's really mm-hmm. awesome. I yeah, love that's yeah. amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you when you were sitting there thinking, oh, I just want to go like make a, a video game studio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think a lot of people probably think that. When they're it's doing a very it, right? common dream, absolutely. Yeah. But how do you go from, you know, just being somebody saying, I think I'd like to do a video game studio <laughs> to actually now I have a game to and it's selling it, and right. doing it. it. It's not probably as easy as all that, right? No, it's not. Um, and I see a lot of people making the same mistakes over and over again. If I can take a, a step back here, you know, my parents are entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, my father came from a very poor town in the middle of Mississippi. If you go to the house he grew up in, it is, it is like, it's basically, it's a very, it, it's, it's very sad, actually. You know, it's in the middle of Mississippi. He came from a very low-income family. And um, you know, he joined the Navy and went and got a medical degree. And from there, he launched his own clinic in the 1980s, which ended up becoming a huge, um, like, healthcare franchise. And from there, like, he opened all these different kinds of businesses with the capital he made from that. So growing up, I, you know, your family is just your family. You don't think about it. But, like, we were going to tax lawyers and, you know, CPAs and learning about tax structure and how you how you finance a business. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was being, you know, really taught value things about being an entrepreneur that a lot of people don't really think about. And the central problem I see with people trying to launch video game companies is they don't think about capital. Um, You know, you have to have money to launch an operation of, you know, a big enough size to make an impact because, you know, the iOS store, we don't need any more 99 cent games made by one person. You know, you have to go a little bit more ambitious these days. So, you know, um, I, this is actually my third startup to launch. And I started, you know, assembling an MVP and getting my financing, you know, lined up and, you know, courting investors and that kind of thing. So, and you did this based on what, I mean, what merit? Because it, I think of a lot of people out there, if they were going to say, oh, you know what, I, I want to start my own studio. I'm thinking about capital. Right. I'm thinking about, I'm going to go raise some money. To, well, how do you just do that? You know what I'm saying? It, it's not everyone can just do that, especially, see, here's what makes you different mm-hmm. is that you're in that development space. You're in that gaming startup space. And there are a whole lot of people who do software development or make games or who are gamers or maybe even who are or would be good business people. Mm-hmm. Who like they have no idea how to do that, and they're probably thinking, oh, "I'm not good at that, so I can't do it," or "I don't know how to even approach that, so I'm not, I'm not even going to try." I think that's a very common mindset, and I think um, you know, again, my upbringing made me very fortunate to kind of understand that. And the truth is, a lot of developers want to kind of have a little bit of a I don't want to say a sneer, but they they're just not that into it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not why you become a developer, and it's not why you're a gamer, but it's a really really critical skill. What we did was we waited in 
I, I think so much of being an entrepreneur is looking for opportunities and taking them. Let me tell you how we started the MVP up, you know, the minimally viable product for Revolution 60. Um, so Frank's grandmother was put into the uh, the hospital. Um, and this is very sad, but she had a, you know, she had a hoarding disorder, basically. Mm. So her house was beyond trashed. Um, you could walk into it. There was garbage up to your waist. Um, you know, the walls were falling down. The kitchen was totally trashed. And so what my husband and I did was we talked to Frank's family and we made a deal that if we would go clean up this house ourselves, we would be able to live there three years rent-free. Um, rent in Boston is non-trivial. Right. So what we did is we spent six months and in between me doing other things, like we would come over here and do that 80-hour-a-week thing. And we cleaned up this house to the point we were able to live in it. And that freed up, you know, about $3,000 a month of capital, which we used to make our minimally viable product. So I think there's opportunity out there for everyone. I think you just have to think about it and take it when it's in front of you. Does that make sense to you? No, it totally does. Yeah. I mean, you have to make sacrifices no matter what your business is, no matter Absolutely. what it, it, it is that you want to do. There's there's going it's not an easy road. The nope. easy road, the easy road is to stay in your job, your full time mm-hmm. job. And, you know, knowing that there is no such thing as job security, but just stay there and, and do do the work and work hard and get promotions. And at the end of the day, clock out and, you know, go live your life. And I think there are. There's this huge misunderstanding, uh, and, and I'm probably at fault for that, for, for people who listen to this show, thinking that perhaps it is um, like, like that I encourage people to go and start their own thing or quit their job. And for the longest time, I, mean, I, I would love it if one of the jackals, uh, one of the listeners would go through and sort of tally up. How many times I've told oh, yeah, someone to actually suggested you should quit and go do it versus you should not quit. I, my and wait it out. Yeah. My <laughs> feeling is I generally tell people don't leave because it's full of peril. The one upside of doing something like this, and I have to ask you about that, mm-hmm. is you didn't know even after you took this financing, even after mm-hmm. you made accommodations to your life and lifestyle to try and do something like this. You still didn't know. I mean, you knew because you were going to put 100% into it that the game wouldn't suck. So you went into it saying, I know we are going to make a good game. You knew that because otherwise you would have failed, right? If you didn't believe that. Right. But you didn't know if it would be successful and not successful from the standpoint of we made an awesome game. That was a success. Ha ha. More like, wow, nobody has bought this thing all the reviews of it are, are biased and bad, or, you know, it's just not performing the way that we, we wanted to perform. You didn't know that. And that's the, the struggle, right? Is that you can work really hard on something and do your best to, to make it successful and invest a lot of time and money in it. But then it, for whatever reason, doesn't pan out financially and you have to look at doing something else. That's not the story that, that happened for you guys. 
Right. Well, I also think it's important to think about what your goals are. Um, you know, when we made Rev60, it's it wasn't just money I was going after. It was industry credibility. It was contacts in the industry. It was, you know, a professional reputation. If you look today in 2014, you know, I'm one of the better known women in the game development industry at this point. And again, that's because every step of the way I've been networking. I've been you know, very cognizant to go to conventions, to meet people, to make friends in the press. So your your goals are multifactorial. I think if you're just thinking about money, that's a very, it's a very short-term thing to be thinking about. You know, like your your reputation in the industry is what is going to sell you in the long term. Does that make sense to you? No, it totally does. Yeah. But this is something that is a huge undertaking. It does so that when you say this game took three years to write, mm-hmm. you don't just mean it took three years to like make the game. You mean it took three years to make the game and also do all of these other things. How did you get so wise about what it was that you would need to do in order to make this a successful uh, project? Well, I looked at the market and I could see that, again, you know, there, there are no shortage of 99 cent games. And I realized if I wanted to make an impact, I needed to aim very big. And, you know, Revolution 60, uh, you know, our friend Serenity Caldwell over at Macworld, she said it was one of the most ambitious games uh, to ever come out for iOS. And, you know, I agree with that. So I, I aimed very large in my when I was going for it to make a to make a dent. Um, I also have to say this isn't my first trip to the, you know, to the entrepreneur start your own business circus. You know, I'm sure I don't I actually don't know what you did before five by five. I know you did high logic, but right. (laughs) But it's it's you know as well as I do, there's going to be failure along that way. And if Giant Space Cat is a success, it's because I failed at other things I've tried and I've learned from that. So when you, what were these other things? Do you want really want to hear what I did? It's boring. I am. I'm perfectly happy to listen. I want to hear what you did. I'll tell you what I did after. Sure. Um, You know, so when I was, well, first of all, when I started off, um, you know, I was, God, I was just 14. I was building like computers and things like that out of my parents' garage. Like this is at 14. I'm making tons of money doing it. And, you know, like that is a good, that was a good background for me. When I was 19, um, this is when UPN had just come on the air and South Park was wildly popular. (laughs) And, um, you know, we basically went through and got financing to do a, I think it was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar animated film, and you know we like we we rented out this house and we we knocked out walls and we we turned this entire house into an animation studio and you know we were out there and we were competing for you know to be a television pilot an animated pilot wow. and you know it didn't it didn't work out. But what was so valuable was at 19 to have a staff of five people to at 19 be thinking about tax code and, you know, payroll and things like that. And I would I would put that learning experience up against any kind of college experience because it was you just can't. You can't teach someone that kind of initiative. Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, I totally do. I think it's. I, I always, you know, there sometimes people will call into the show and they'll say, you know, they'll say, oh, I really want to, I really want to start my own thing or I really want to be independent. And, you know, you always want to, the first thing you want to do, I mean, this is good advice for anybody doing any kind of like show with guests or callers or whatever. You want to kind of listen to them, <laughs> you know, and listen right. to, listen to what they're saying. And a lot of the time, 
you'll sort of realize that what, what they're saying isn't so much, I want to go and do this thing that I, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about doing this thing and it's what I want to do as much as they're sort of saying, I'm unhappy doing this other thing that I'm doing. What mm-hmm. pushed you to want to, to do this? What pushed you to want to do it? Was it obsession with games and being a gamer? Was it, mm-hmm. uh, was it the fact that you tried other things and it they was, failed? So I think I think the biggest mistake I see people making is what you just said. Like they're kind of generally unhappy with their life and they think that this is going to be a panacea. Mm-hmm. It's not. Having your own thing. Like, Dan, I don't know. I, I, I've never talked to you in real life, but I'm sure if we sat down and had lunch together, we would both be working 80 hours a week, taking on the most stress at our company, you know, eat, live and breathe problems, you know, and even as a leader, it's it's not easier to be a leader. It's an additional burden because ultimately every problem falls on you. So for me personally, it wasn't that I was unhappy. It was that I had a real passion for wanting to make games where women were the stars and the heroes. You know, so many video games, uh, you know, women are the girlfriend or the sidekick. And I just wanted to tell a story where women were awesome. And that was, that was really it. Yeah, and that's it awesome. Was, yeah, and but it was more than just my passion for that. I also saw it was a marketplace need because back in 2010 when we started the company, um, I could see how women gamers were exploding. And you know now you know history has really proven that hunch out. Now we're 48 percent of the market. So I think it was it was seeing a marketplace need that needed to be fulfilled. It was fulfilling my own personal passion. But I also think at my core, I'm a leader and. You know, like I, I kind of, I need to be doing that to feel fulfilled with my life. Does that make sense to you? Or are you kind of the same way? Well, I mean, I totally think that, well, first of all, I mean, I think what you're doing and obviously we'll, we'll get to this cause it's a bigger topic, mm-hmm. but the, what, what you're doing and being a role model for women, I think is, is really important showing that, you know, and it's funny just to touch on this. I, I was talking about this recently Hattie he was at this show or was it a different one? I can't remember. I'm trying to think, you know, I grew up, my mom was a single mom. Right, And I grew up with her since I was four and a half, four years old, whenever my parents got divorced, I'd lived with her and she was, she was a a teacher at first at like high school and then uh, at, at college. And like it, she was the breadwinner. She was the one that ran everything. She did everything. She worked, she took care of me. We had a house, you know what I mean? Like, like it never, maybe because of that going into the whole professional world of like women they can use computers too like why would they want to do that you know like that's not a place for women to be like that those kinds of thoughts i didn't even wasn't even aware that people had those kinds of thoughts or that Mm -hmm. that that women would be treated differently in say the gaming space or in technology or in whatever like it never it it, it took me a while to realize that there was this attitude and, you know, and that even as a guy that I think a lot of guys are unaware of it, but they're not unaware of it. And I don't want to get too much into that issue yet, but because they're unaware of, of that, they don't really understand that there are a lot of people like you who are out there trying to dispel, uh, to dispel that. I think the reason I'm unaware of it 
is because I always saw my mom as like my hero. You know, she was like out there doing this stuff and it wasn't like she's doing it without a man. It wasn't like that. It's like she's just doing it, you yeah, know, she's like getting stuff. Done. Yeah, she was yeah. getting stuff done. Right. And it never, you know, it never occurred to me that there was any kind of concept of of uh, of of inequality or something there. And right. and yet there are people like you who are out there like fighting to prove that it's not that way, you know? Sure. Well, I mean, this isn't the first career I've had. You know, I've worked in constituent services, uh, you know, as a political fundraiser. I've worked as a reporter. I've done freelance illustration. Um, and what shocked me about getting into the game industry is it's it's not that it's worse than other industries. Mm-hmm. It's that it's so much drastically worse than any other job I've ever had. And yeah, because of that, that's that's part of why I speak up about it, because it it really shocks me on on a daily basis sometimes. So I don't know. It's I mean my ultimate goal is not to make any political point. It's just to be able to do my freaking job. Yeah. yeah. Like that's it. But you know, I I've joked with Merlin a number of times on back to work and it's sort of calling myself sort of uh, it's it's an exaggeration, but we joke and say, well, I don't even, you know, we're sort of unemployable now at this point. Um, but I really, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and I don't, I don't actually think that's true. I don't really believe that, but there has to be some kind of, there has to be something inside of a person that makes them want to say, I'm going to put 100% of the responsibility of paying bills making a living, success or failure, I'm going to shoulder the brunt of all of that, right? Because I think they're, they're, you know, it's one thing to say, I have a job. And as, as a man, I have a job. I'm, my, my wife wants, uh, it's time for us to have kids and she wants to have a child now. And I do too. And obviously there's going to be a period of time where she will not be able to work because she will be physically delivering and then for a while probably caring for the child. Maybe I'll be a stay-at-home dad later. Who knows? But like there's this – there's so then, then there's this thing that, that happens when a family is started when you do this. Many times a woman will then return to work. Sometimes she won't. Depends on the situation. But the pressure to do that I think is, is a, a, an accepted pressure in the world where you, where you as a woman says, I would like to start a family – there are actually laws around this that say, yes, you would be allowed to do that and you have your job later, you know, things like that. Right. As a man, you can say, boss, I got to get a raise because we want to start a family now or, you know, I'm only going to do this if I have security. But to, to, to do something like that where, you're, where, where that's a, a financial risk that I hear a lot, mm-hmm. to take that kind of a risk when you're just like, I just want to try something. And there's no external force. There's no nature is calling kind of a force. You know what I mean? Where you just simply say, I'm going to take some huge risk. It's, it's a big jump. You know what I'm saying? It's, and, yeah. and a lot of people would say, well, what's the reason? Did you have some kind of a burning desire to, to do that? Why not just go work at a game company and learn how it's done there? Or, you know, why, why did you have to do it by yourself on your own? Start out that way. Well, I think if you look at the game industry structurally, it would the game industry would never make a game like Revolution 60, you know, which has it's I didn't set out to make any political point. It just has five women in all the major roles being awesome, you know, and that's not a game that would get funded the normal way. So 
but it was also this this burning desire I had to create a company the way that I wanted to have a company. Giant Space Cat's culture is deeply different than the rest of technology. Um, we have what I would call a hyper-collaborative culture, where it's very generally speaking, in a lot of game dev, it tends to be very, very hierarchical. You know, the creative director makes all the decisions, issues edicts. Um, the way we work at Giant Space Cat is my team regularly overrules me on decisions. And I always have that trump card. So if I feel really, really strongly about something as a leader, one person at the company has to be able to say, no, this is the direction we're going. This is the call. I'm making it. Mm -hmm. That's my responsibility. But generally speaking, I wanted to make a, a company where you know, we could all have our say. Um, let me give you an example. We we have a very different hiring process at our company than we do than I see other companies in the game industry making. Um, our lead engineer, for instance, she has never worked in game dev before this job. She, in fact, had never had another job doing professional programming before. But we had worked with her. We saw that she was very capable of this. So what I did is I paid her for three months to sit down and you know she had a background in C++ to learn Unreal Script for the game. And what I did was I found someone out there with a lot of potential and I invested in her. And a result of that is I got a really fantastic, very loyal employee. So, you know, part of part of why I did this was just wanting to do things my way. You know, does yeah. that make sense? No, yeah. it totally does. Uh, I think so. How how many people are in your company now? Well, right now we're gearing up from one project to the next. So uh, right now we're on, we're just shipping the PC version. So right now it's just five people. But, you know, we're about to hire a bunch of new people to work in the studio. Are you all physically in the same location? No, no. We actually, we work with the distributed office. We have a once a week meeting in person, sometimes twice a week, particularly for engineering meetings. But um yeah, for, for game dev and especially programming, it's actually helpful to not have people around in the office all day. So, you know, that's just how we work. But you're all there up in, in the same town. Yeah, we are. We are. How important um, was that? I mean, if you're virtual, that allows you to come in and meet like in a physical location, right? But is that why? I mean, what if you found somebody who was super talented and they were here in Austin or they were in Alaska or they were in, you know, Italy? Like, would that I, matter or would you still want people that you could have that physical meeting with? It would it would depend on the, the job description. Like our voice actresses work all over. Um, I can tell you working on Rev 60, I ended up firing everyone that was not here in Boston. Nice. <laughs> so, well, you know what I'm talking about. When it's not working out with somebody, it's not personal. It's business, and you know you have to go your separate ways. Um, so for engineering decisions, I that is the only position I feel very strongly about. It has to be local. You cannot Skype an engineering problem. You have to sit down with someone, look them in the eye, talk about the pros and cons. You know that is a job you have to, at the least, have access to the a sit down with the person because it's so stressful <laughs> trying to to ship a game. But for the other positions, like we're we're going to be more flexible moving forward. See, I think that's fascinating because so mm -hmm. often you hear about companies that have, you know, where they'll say everybody has to be local, everyone has to be here in the office, everyone can be remote. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one time I was working with uh, a company, I lived in North Carolina, and the company was based in North Carolina, and they had a handful of people there in North Carolina, but most of the developers were elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And this is when I had been doing 
freelance software development, mainly building like publishing systems and writing code and in Java and PHP. And eventually Rails wasn't, was just kind of becoming a thing at the time. And, you know, I was very much like, I, I like my routine. I like working from home. I like being part of a development team or running one. But, you know, like I like the, you know, 15 step commute as we, right, you know, right. as we used to call it. And, uh, you know, it, for, they had offered me a job and they're like, well, listen, we want you to be like a director level and like, like help run sort of the software slash, you know, development group. And I said, well, actually, um, we were planning on moving back to Florida, which is a whole other story, but, uh, you know, and, and they're like, oh, well then you can't do that job, but we'd still love to have you as a developer if you want to be a developer. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is a company that already all of their developers were elsewhere. There was, there was, I don't think they had any, maybe one in North Carolina. They were all everywhere else. And that was fascinating that they didn't believe that you could have a senior or, you know, a director, manager type level person in a remote location. Mm-hmm. They wanted somebody who could physically be there and, here, you know, at 5x5, five five, we've got a, a tiny little office and get a recording room and we have sort of like an open space. But main area. The main area. <laughs> but having, and Hattie, I know you, we've talked about this. Is Many it, times. We need people like when, when, you're, when you're here doing this job, yes, it's possible to like do remote editing video and, and audio And we do work. work with a lot of remote people just on a daily basis. But okay. it's so much I have to say, after spending seven years working out of my house, I love working in, in, in an office. And yes, there are distractions. And yes, th- there are things that happen that will take you away from being in the zone and from working. And I'm not really doing much software development anymore. And I remember doing writing in software development and how important it was to be like, I'm shutting the door. Leave me alone for eight hours. Like that's important. <laughs> but there, I totally understand what you're saying in being able to physically connect with other human beings, especially in a creative. And I think games making games must be so creative. Yeah. That that I totally get what you're saying about having people physically here. But we have a lot of fun in this office, and I'd love to have people that you can you sit, look at and work with and talk to and. And there is... And do fun things with. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. A huge piece is missing when everybody's remote, right? I mean, am I... Am, am I people no, don't want to hear... Totally this right. is not a popular yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, like... Uh, I mean, what is the mathematical value of the Christmas party that GSX is going to have later this year? Where we all get to hang out or, like, at our launch party where Frank is shaking up champagne and it it sprays all over all of our electronics and breaks one of our time capsules. Yeah, that is that is a, a, a an emotional... It's a, yeah, it's an emotional cement. And I do think you have to have that to a certain extent. You know, moving forward, um, you know, 
as we're moving to the next phase of my company's life, we are definitely looking at office space. One of the the cool, unfortunate parts of the economic downturn of 2008 is there's still tons of, you know, unleased office space around here. Uh, some of it is in extremely nice buildings and doesn't cost much more than an apartment. I, I, I don't think it's as expensive as yeah. some people think it is. So, you know, all cards are on the table, you know, moving forward. It's, you know, it's like anything else. There are advantages and there are disadvantages. And I think part of being one of my really big critiques of large organizations is I think once you get past a certain size, maybe that number is 20 or 30, this bureaucracy inevitably creeps into oh, yeah. any organization. Oh, and yeah. you have HR people making decisions and you have you have like politics and you don't know everyone you're working with. And my goal is to never get that large. Do you know what I mean? I do. So, so I think, I don't know. I think moving forward, we're certainly going to look at that. I think having a an office that is a um, kind of a symbol for people, I think that could be useful. But, you know, even if we had an office tomorrow, we would have very flexible hours. Like, for instance, my co-founder, Amanda, you know, she has a two-and-a-half-year-old now. And, you know, if she wants to stay at home and work, you know, her kid has a sick day and she wants to take care of her kid for the day from home, like more power to you. You know, like I don't I don't think you have to come to an office every day to get stuff done. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about that. And I think that's kind of for a long time, everyone was saying, oh, the future of, you know, of offices or of the workplace is everyone will work wherever they want to work. They'll work You'll at have home. Options. They'll work at Starbucks. They'll work right. in the office. I, I don't think that's panned out. I don't think that that, that uh, concept is panned out. I think, I think it's almost more like, and this isn't really the right way to say it, but almost like the, the optional office mm-hmm. in a sense mm-hmm. of like, we have an office and there are... You have a desk. You have a desk and there are meetings and things that happen and they happen at the office. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean you need to be here from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. five days a week. Maybe some days... You'll work there longer. We, uh, Hattie, we went and visited uh, Mutual Mobile. Yep. And they, we had to sign. Did we have to sign an NDA to even go in there? Right. Because they're working on a lot of stuff and their computers are out and they didn't. And they know we're on the radio, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> did, did, I didn't think I signed it, though. No, we signed it. I sent I sent your sign. You signed on behalf of me? <laughs> yeah. She can do my signature. It's dangerous. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, a place like that, they have this interesting thing where, I mean, they, they very, it seems to me like, I don't think they're nine to five. No. But they definitely but it's have an, a, it's an office. It's culture. a business office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you walk through there, what they do is as, as they're working on different uh, projects, they'll say, oh, you know, for, for this project, this app that we're building, we need two UX people. We need one project manager and we need three developers. What they do is they'll take them and they'll kind of they'll put get their the desks, desks together. Yeah. In like right. a pod. And they so have like you, two floors. So, you know, people move their desk downstairs to go work with somebody else. Right. And they're constantly kind of shifting around. Right. So like when you're this one project ends, now you're going to this project, like your desk gets put up and they use the Ikea Gallant desks. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. on NDA, is it? No, I think that's fine. And they put them on the cinder blocks. <laughs> they put them on cinder so blocks if you want to have a standing, have a, desk. Yeah, standing yeah. desk. And you'll you'll go and then now you're with this other group. You might be on a different floor than you were on. Mm-hmm. So it keeps it kind of varied. You know, it keeps it kind of and and like, but that's the kind of thing like they really and they they are doing uh, really big, uh, really big apps for big companies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they found something that really works. 
I don't know. I, we should ask them. Like, what would happen if you said to your boss, I want to work from home? I think they would. I don't know. I don't know this. I think it might depend on the day. It might depend on the day, right? But that, that to me is more like the philosophy that I think kind of works is like for, for something like that where you have developers. Like here, we have physical things that need to happen. Like someone has to physically set up a show. There are cameras. There are big, big files that would take hours and hours and hours to upload somewhere for someone else to then download to edit. And like, you know, whenever you see a movie being, and, and I'm, I absolutely think that the videos that we're doing are Hollywood level, full mm-hmm production scale, you know, but, but whenever you see like someone doing, like we, we watch that breaking bad behind the scenes thing with breaking bad and you see them in the editing room, there's human beings in the editing room together, brainstorming, you have to be able talking, to point at something and say that part I don't like, right. or this part is my favorite or yeah. move right. this over here. Completely. You know? And I just don't think there's so much, people always talk about these amazing tools that we have to do things virtually. I would much rather, Brie, I would much rather have you sitting and pointing right now. Hattie, where, where, what As a I, witness, you are, are I, pointing. What am I pointing at? Uh, towards the lovely chairs that we have for our guest chairs uh, yeah, set up in our office. Right there. Yep. We have them. We are going to have. Maybe be we'll even soon, have a little sofa or something right there. We need to find a narrow one. And the, <laughs> and and the uh, the people will be able to come in and join because I'm. I can't say what I'm doing yet. Bree, you know. Yeah, I do. It's uh, excited. I'll be able to say, you know, come into the studio for that, and they'll be able to sit right there in these chairs. Why? When Skype works perfectly, because there is a dynamic of having people in the same room with you. That's just it. There's one word for it. It's more fun, right? It's more fun. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I, yeah, this is why we have physical requirements for us to get together once or twice a week, because it's, it's like you said, like Hattie of Breaking Bad. If you're playing a binary of a new game build, you need to be able to have that in front of you and to play it and to say, look at this right here. This texture doesn't work. This mechanic doesn't work. Look at like, how about user testing? I mean, you have to bring people into an office and plop them down with your game and watch them play it to figure out why it, what's wrong with it. Because as a developer, you just utterly get to a point where you can't tell anymore. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just think I, I and, and people don't, but people don't like that. Everything is going away in that, in, in that direction of, no, it's, it's remote people. I always want remote people. I, so then the one argument that people will make for me is let's say you begin working on your next big game mm-hmm. and you find somebody who is just amazing, super talented, done amazing work. They're in another city and you're like, we really need your help. We, you will help us in, in so many ways if we bring you in to do this. And the person says, you know what? I just really like Chicago. I don't, I don't want to move to Boston. And But I want to work for you. But I want to work for you. And I just, for whatever reason, I, you know what? I've got three kids in school here in, uh, in Chicago, and I'm not going to uproot them to, to come and work with you. we just moved here. We yeah. just moved here, and we're not moving for a while now. Right. <laughs> or my wife's whole family is here. Or my, my husband has an amazing job as a, you know, as a doctor, and uh, he doesn't want to give up and move his practice. Sure. So... Does that mean that now you can't hire that person? 
No, I think I think the ability of the leader is the ability to look at any situation open-mindedly and to analyze it and to to improvise. I think I think the worst kind of people that kind of get into you know entrepreneurship are very very listy people. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I need to do A, B, and C today. And the truth is, like if you want to start your own business, write your top three worries on a piece of paper and throw it out the window <laughs> because your top three worries will be something you haven't even thought about yet. And that's a freaking fact. So I, <laughs> you, know, you have to be able to worry, to improvise, to adapt strategy, to compromise. Like that is absolutely necessary if you're going to go do your own thing. So, you know, if we've hypothetically found someone that were amazing for that, maybe I would jump on a plane and fly to Chicago like twice a month, mm-hmm. you know, like I'd, I'd find a way to make it work. You, you have to be able to to think on your feet like that. I mean, you just have to be able to. It's your view to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Talk. Bree, you sound, you sound very enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. I dare say m- perhaps motivational. <laughs> it sounds like everything is, you, you, you're one of those people when you listen to them talk, you're like, yeah, you know, like she's, I could do this. She did this. I could, mm-hmm. this is, I could maybe do this. it's not as hard as everyone says. I mean, she it's did not. it. Yeah. But is, you know, people used to uh, criticize me for, oh. no, listen, oh. used to criticize me for painting this kind of, you know, I do these interviews and I would talk to people and I would get emails sometimes saying, it's not like that. Like you're painting this, beautiful rainbow you know <laughs> picture with unicorns and utopia yeah of it's it, but like i tried to do x and it failed and the reason why it failed is because people are terrible and business yeah. is hard and i suck yeah and dan you don't ever portray that side of it so that was years and years ago and i think uh i think this show is proof that it's not that way and that i i know better mm-hmm. but when i was saying that you just said well, it, it is, it, it can be easy or it can be. So can you talk about that? Because I think there's a lot of people who've maybe tried these things and said, oh, it, it, the, 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 that's fine for Merlin comment. In <laughs> other words, Brie can do it because, because she's you know, Brie, because she's Brie right. or because uh, she's never had any failures or because her, oh, you know, her, her, her parents <laughs> made it easy for her to get started. Like, sure. you know, wh- how, how do you respond to this? Care to comment? Sure. I mean, look, it is it is undeniable that I've had advantages in life. You know, like my 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 parents are millionaires. Uh, you know, to actually compound that for me personally, I was adopted. And I I think every day about how how thankful I am that that roulette wheel you know spun and you know, I was lucky enough to get adopted into a family that you know, cared enough about me to invest that much into me. You know, in the in the eighties and nineties when I was growing up, like if I wanted, uh, you know, computers were like three thousand dollars back then. Yeah. If I wanted to learn that, my parents would just go buy that for me, which is why I'm I'm good at what I do. I've had amazing advantages, and I I cannot communicate to people how how thankful I am for that. And you know, Dan, I've been attacked like crazy. From people, they're like, oh, I wish my parents had given me X, Y, or Z. But the truth of the matter is 
people like you and I, we, we make opportunities happen for ourselves. And that's an X factor that you can't, you can't teach someone to go out there. Like at 19, I was going and meeting people and like making networking connections for a pilot and hiring people and writing a script and figuring out the computer equipment we'd need and like learning all these programs. That is, you know, creating opportunities for yourself and walking through the door. And again, I just want to stress, I've been very blessed, but there's also, that's why I love the name of the show, Grit, because it is, it's something inside of you. I, I call it steamroll mode, where if you're going to, if a problem comes up, you're going to go knock it down. And you, know, you don't tolerate excuses. Like you, your job is to solve problems. And I get a lot of the same kind of comments you're talking about, Dan, where people, they, they maybe it didn't work out for them and they're they kind of want their own failure to be mirrored in you because then it means they didn't fail. Right. And I have, I have, I have so much compassion for that. Like when my first company failed, I think I was 21 and I went through the world's worst depression. I mean, it was, it was agonizing to have something I'd, I'd worked for for so many years fall apart. And I felt like I was a failure. And, you know, I, I went to a very, very deep depression that took me a long time to get out of. So I have so much empathy for that kind of hurt. But, you know, I think the truly great people kind of push past that. And do you know what I mean? Like get to that next level. And, and because this is, I, I tell people this all the time. If you have succeeded at everything you've tried, um, you're not learning as much as you need to. Like if I'm where I am today in my mid thirties, it's because I've made so many freaking mistakes. Yes, along exactly. The way. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And like it's it's that's something I say here a lot on the show is that it, people are afraid of making mistakes. I understand that. Like sure. I don't want to make mistakes, but that. You will, and it happens. And what you need to do is you need to learn from those and you need to, you, you need to adapt based on what you've learned. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing I remember when I was a boy, I was probably about seven, eight years old in that range. And I went to my friend's birthday party and I lived in a part of South Florida that there, you know, there wasn't, we didn't live in like a bad neighborhood, but it wasn't a nice neighborhood. But the school that I went to had lots of kids who lived in very, very, very nice neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time there was one of my friends had a birthday party and he invited a bunch of the kids from class. This is back before there was the rule that you must invite everybody in the class, which is how it is now. <laughs> if you invite one person, you must invite all of the children. If you bring one piece of candy, you must bring candy for all of the, you know. So th- this was, but, you know, he invited everybody. And that was uncommon back then. And I went to this party in this beautiful neighborhood with the beautiful big houses. And one of the, the one of the part of the entertainment, and this is even at, at, you know, at a young age, I knew that I wanted to be in what we used to call radio. Uh, and I was also fascinated by like anything that involved recording of anything, whether it was oh. movies or, or, or radio or anything. I was just, I loved this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the part of the entertainment was this uh, movie that, and this is, I'm trying to remember what year this was. This is like really early 80s, late 70s. Or let's, let's say it was 80, 81. And nowadays, 
of course everyone can make a video. My kid had a flip, you know, camera when he was two years old. He, you know, stole it from me and ran around the house making, you know, making videos when he was two. And now he does it all the time on his iPad. Mm-hmm. And so that's like not a big deal. In 1982, if you had some kind of way to record your own video or make your own movie, like unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And this kid, part of the entertainment was he, he, his dad and him, and I guess some of his other friends had made a movie that was sort of like a Star Wars inspired kind of movie where they were, you know, doing stuff in space and on a Martian planet and, you know, and like they even had little explosions and special effects and other things wow. like that. And his parents clearly were rich and had the money. But, you know, here, here's this kid saying like, yeah, dude, like I'm nine. I made a movie. Like, check it out. We're going to watch it at my party. <laughs> and I was so – jealous isn't the right word because jealous involves some kind of like anger. Or negative. Or negative. Yeah. I was just like – I was so blown away that like in, in the awe. sense of like in awe of it. Yeah. And I was feeling like how unfair is that? Because, like, my movie would be good, too, if I could only do a movie, you know. Like, right. I, want, I want, me, too, I want to do a movie. <laughs> and, but I just remember thinking, like, that's when I first became aware of this sense of, um, of, of how important the, the two things are. And, and your comment about getting a computer really, mm-hmm. really made me realize that, is that one part of it is, you have a parent who has the ability to provide for their kid in that in in that way. We we will get a video camera, right? Number two, it's the fact that the parents, and this is the part that that I think has to be there too, is the parents are paying enough attention to their kid to say, you know what, my kid seems to be passionate about X. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to use these resources, these financial resources that I have to make it possible for them to explore that. M. Night, how am I supposed to say this guy's M. Night Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen movies for, of M. Night Shyamalan that he made when he was young. I don't know how old. Early teens. They're, they're funny. They're what a, an aspiring director in his early teens would do. And... Still, like, I, and I don't know the story of his parents were had money or not, but the, the, the effect and the impact that a parent can have on their kid by saying, you're passionate about this. I'm going to make it possible for you to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a parent who says, wow, my daughter is really, really interested in, uh, in, in playing guitar. I'm going to go get her a beat up crappy guitar from the pawn shop for 80 bucks. And if she's really good at it, you know, and if it's not just like a this week kind right. of thing, but if she's <laughs> right. really good at it, then, then you know what, then I'll invest more in that. Or like I was lucky enough to go to a, to a summer camp at a, at a, the college where my mom taught because I could go there for free. And that's where I got exposure to computers and learned about computers. Like that wasn't something cool. we could do during the day. So I was an 11 year old using an Apple II learning how to write basic. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come from privilege. If anything, it came from uh, it, it, it came from a lack of privilege because that wasn't a very good summer camp. And the only reason I went there was because my mom worked there and it was free. And she had to figure out something to do with me while she taught summer classes so that we could pay our mortgage. Hmm. 
So I was lucky enough to go in and be able to like learn computers totally by accident. Now I'd already been fascinated by computers, but I never would have gotten that exposure early on. And again, look at what we have today. All 11 year olds in America, if they're going to a a school, have probably getting exposure to computers because they seem to be in all the schools. I'm not sure about in the, in the very, um, you know, poor areas. I don't know, but sure. In, in what we think of as, America, American public schools, American right, public schools, right, right. kids are getting exposure to computers if they don't, if their parents don't also have a computer, if they themselves don't have an iPod touch or mm-hmm. an iPad or something. And, but back then, again, in the eighties, like computers were so new that having not only exposure to computers, uh, but really being able to like learn about them, that was a tremendous advantage that I had. But there were plenty of kids yeah. in there that all they wanted to do was play the games in there. They didn't want to yeah, write I code, that. you know? I, I think we all have advantages and disadvantages. Like, I remember, um, you know, Daniel Jalkut of Red, uh, Red Sweater Software and yep. Mars Edit. He, mm-hmm. he lives right here in my town. And, yeah, we're not close friends, but, you know, we talk. We're nice to each other. He came to my launch party. You know, he talks about being, um, you know, a teenager and a child in Silicon Valley in the 80s and 90s, which I have that same feeling you're talking about, Dan, where it's not jealousy, but it's like... Do you know what I mean? Like you're you're kind of overwhelmed with like, wow, that must have been awesome. Because when he talks about it, he had, I mean, do you realize he grew up in the exact same area as Steve Jobs just like 20 years later yeah. and like being surrounded by startup culture? Like for me, I I grew up in Mississippi right. where it's dirt poor. I, I knew people that could not read. Um, I once got, you know, health care from a nurse that didn't know how to use the past tense when she was talking to me. <laughs> and, you know, um, or like uh, you know, my friend, uh, I have friends that uh, you went to Stanford or MIT. And, you know, I went to Old Miss. I, I tried their engineering department. It was a, a hot mess there, you know, at the time when I first tried it. And like even for me, I find myself deeply jealous of of some other people's opportunities. And, you know, again, I would never say I haven't had advantages because I, I have. But I think there's something that happens with entrepreneurs, with people that, you know, we're not doing this because we have unhappiness and we want to make it better. There's something inside of us where we look for opportunities we look for ways to solve problems and and we make the most with what we have. Does that make sense to no, you? No, it like totally yeah. does. No, it yeah. totally does. And I think that there's the you know, like people people who didn't have that kind of situation, who didn't have parents who could buy them a computer when they were showed mm-hmm. interest in it, or who couldn't write them a, a, a check to help them start their own business. It's almost like, well, what you've done, Bree, doesn't really count. It's not important. It doesn't matter. And you know what? You kind of cheated because someone helped you. And, and, and the reason that I'm sitting here, you know, working at the laundromat is, uh, is, is because I didn't have parents to help me do that, but I'd be right where you were. In fact, I would be literally where you were, were, are right now. If I had had that, you know what? Like, maybe that's true, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you shouldn't make use. In fact, I will go so far as to say you're obligated yeah. to try to do the things that you're doing if you had that kind of a head start. You're, I completely agree. You, you, if your parents could have written you a check to help you start something and you didn't do it, see, that's, that's the person that I feel could have, uh, could have something to say about it because right. you had 
that. And you said, wow, I have something that maybe a lot of people don't have. I have an opportunity that they don't have. I'm going to take it. It's always yeah. surprises me. And listen, maybe this is because my mom is a college professor and my dad worked at a university and my aunt uh, was like the chief librarian at a university. And all I, I have the least education of anybody in my entire family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have the least amount of school. But I, I went to college. I graduated. I said, I'm done with that. Yeah. But I'm always surprised by people who have an opportunity to go to, to school and don't take advantage of that because I know that everybody has a different reason. But, but that is kind of like it's like the, the, the baseline for so many jobs out there. And it, sure. I, I feel like you know, college is not for everyone. I get that. But I feel like if you have that opportunity, if you have that privilege, if you have a situation where you got early exposure to computers and other people didn't, if you have parents who can buy you that video camera, like you owe it to yourself and to them to, to use that to your advantage. Yes, exactly. Of course, of course. You know, and I think this is a really important message for women to hear as well, because I think, I think, you know, we're we're really hard on ourselves. I think, I think, I think women are much much tougher on ourselves than than guys can be. And my message out there for anyone is: if you're talking to me and you expect me to apologize for the opportunities I've been given or the opportunities I've helped create, like keep waiting because I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Like, do not expect me to apologize for, you know, opening a door and walking through it. Like starting Giant Space Cat. You know, I sat down, I had, I certainly had 3D experience a little bit. And I had programming experience, but I had no experience running a game dev company. None. I had no experience. I had no bona fides like running game dev. And I sat down for an entire year and I said, I'm going to learn Maya. By the way, Maya, Autodesk Maya, that is like learning Photoshop squared. It's Mm, so hard. I've heard that. Um, I I said to myself, I am going to sit here and learn to do Unreal, a professional dev environment. Again, no experience with that. And I did. I sat down and I did what I call button chair time until I figured it out. And you know what? Today, I'm one of the you know, biggest experts in the entire world on mobile and real. I know more about that engine than almost anyone else out there. That is, yeah, I may have had the, the, I may have had advantages getting to that point, but I'm the person that sat in that chair enough to figure that out. I'm the person that marched past problems at my company. I'm the, the person that assembled my team. And when I didn't know how to answer a question myself, I went and found people that did. You know, I went out there and, you know, made enough connections at PAX East and you know, did enough networking that now I'm I'm someone that's known in this field. Like I opened all of those doors myself with my initiative. And I think there's my message, I really want to emphasize this. I'm so thankful and aware of those advantages that I had, but I'm not going to apologize for them because I completely agree with you. You have a responsibility to do the most with what you're given. And I think if you just sit there and do nothing with it, I just I, I think you're cheating yourself and I think you're, I think it's disrespectful to a certain extent. That's a very good way to say it. Yeah. All right. Listen, I got to do our, uh, our sponsor for today. Talk about advantages that, uh, that we didn't have. This is a, this is a real one. Squarespace. Because, and I've talked so many times, like I made my living building websites and building publishing tools 
we used to call them publishing tools before the, the term CMS became popular and then went out of popularity because now that's a, people don't like that word anymore, CMS. But Squarespace, it has done something that seems, it seems like magic because the, the pain that we used to go through to build oh. a basic website just it looked forget rendering in, in multiple browsers and devices. Like we didn't even have to worry about devices back then. Yeah, what did you use in the nineties, Dan? I used Go Live and Dreamweaver. And if I you rem- compare that to Squarespace. Oh it's my crazy. gosh. I yeah. used Dreamweaver yeah. a, a, a little bit, but I was I very used Dreamweaver much, too. <laughs> I was very much the, the hand coder, you know? Oh, I was man. the person who was making this stuff primarily by hand. Writing in on the Windows side, I would use, I mean, I was, you know, I would use Windows Notepad. And when I was in Java development, I would use, you know, JEdit or JEdit, however I'm supposed to say it. And, you know, on the on the Mac side, we had BBEdit. And I would have BBEdit. And then I would command tab over and I'd look at, you know, Internet Explorer, whatever it was that I was, you know, using to look at it and hope everything would work elsewhere. And the amount of time that we spent building publishing tools, publishing systems, writing code to do the stuff that Squarespace does with drag and drop. Oh, my God. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and what they've done, I think the, the one holy grail is to have everything on one screen so that you can get in there and make changes to the way the site works, to add content, to drag and drop components, to do everything visually all on one screen without having to flip back and forth at all. That's what Squarespace 7 brings you. And if, you, if you've looked at Squarespace before and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I, I tried that a year ago, looked great, meh, I'm not sure about it, go look at Square, go to squarespace.com slash seven. It's going to blow you away what Squarespace is, is doing now. And existing Squarespace customers, you can just upgrade to seven right there in, you don't have to do anything. You just click the little thing that says start using seven and your system will be on seven. But if you haven't checked this out, Oh my gosh, you've got to go and look at this. The entire interface has been redesigned. They've integrated with Google Apps. They've got a partnership with Getty Images so you can get these beautiful images for your posts for your site that usually cost, I don't know, Hattie, what are they, like 200 bucks or 150 Oh, yeah. You get it for, what is it, $10? $10 if you're a Squarespace uh, customer. And all wow. these new templates, they have, uh, you know, one of the things that people wanted, including me, was they said, I want, I want some really nice one-page templates. That's what the kids all want. So... Now they're there, plus tons of other regular new templates, e-commerce built in. You know, we've been talking, uh, Bree, on the on the on the uh, the base camp. We've cool. been talking about mugs and T-shirts and stickers and stuff. All that will be sold uh, through the the Squarespace e-commerce site because it figures out shipping, it figures out everything, it and that three D packaging stri- yeah. thing. Oh man, connects with Stripe. So here's here's the deal: you start a trial with no credit card. You just start building your website. Oh, you've got stuff in another system you want to import for your blog? It'll import from like all the other big systems. It does everything. When you decide to sign up, the code, where's the code, Hattie? What is it on this one? It grit. Is. Oh, it's grit now. Yeah. Thank you. They, they changed it up. They changed it up. The code is grit, G-R-I-T. You go to squarespace.com slash grit. Here's the thing. If, if this show is interesting to you at all, yes, please support us on Patreon, right? Great. But... Just going to this URL, squarespace.com slash grit, just going there to learn about it shows them that you're listening. Mm -hmm. And when when you're so blown away by it, as you will be, and you're ready to sign up, the code grit is going to get you 10% off your first purchase. That lasts forever. That 10% doesn't go. It's not like one month. No. Sticks around. So go right now, squarespace.com slash grit. 
Code to use is great. Thank you very much to Squarespace for supporting this show. Love Squarespace. I was in a cab the other day and I was, you know, it was Uber. It was uh, Uber, whatever the black car thing is. They were taking me to a studio and like the guy is sitting there, he's telling me about his other job and he's talking about trying to work with some college student and set up like e-commerce and he's paying, like he's talking about how it's cost him like $5,000 so far. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to him talk about what his requirements are. And I, I'm literally like, dude, okay, look, just trust me on this. Like, go to Squarespace. They do everything you're talking about. Like, every, it's eight every bucks single feature for a month. $8. Like, don't spend $5,000. Like, it is. Have you ever tried to work with the credit card companies and set it's up e commerce? Forget it's, it. It's beyond a nightmare. And I, I just, you're taking all that liability on yourself, which is a whole nother subject for like encryption and all of that. Just let Squarespace do it. You know, like there is a really good product. So go check it out. Squarespace.com slash great. Yeah. Great stuff. And that's the, but that's the thing is that now today it's so easy to do things like, oh, you want to put your podcast up online? You can do that. Big debates going around in, in, the podcast world today today's topic apparently is microphones that's the big <laughs> one anger that's the big it. one today yeah exciting exciting talk on twitter about rabid rabid talk <laughs> but i and we can do maybe we'll do it in the after dark but uh we can we can hear about your setup over there because you are in a, a full-on you're in a full-on st- studio you've surrounded yourself with you've got maya yep you've got all of this equipment you know I just, I love hearing stories from people like you who jump into this and say, I'm unprepared. Yeah. I don't know how to do these things. I'm just going to teach myself. I'm going to start learning. And that's something that I think people often forget is that when you, when you put yourself in a situation where you're 100% relying on yourself, mm-hmm. You will figure it out. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, the, have you ever, have you ever run into something? And Hattie, I could ask you the same question. Have you ever been in a situation? We'll start with Hattie since she's been so quiet today. <laughs> uh, have you ever been, and it's fine to say yes to this because the answer for me might, might also be yes. Have you ever been in a situation where you tried to figure something out and couldn't? Like you just simply, I think you're going to say no to this because I know how crafty you are. Well, <laughs> okay. Can... Does it count if I've, you know, finally had to Google something? <laughs> no, I Googling, <laughs> you, mean you like... can figure it out with Googling. I just mean like I have seen you figure things out and and I know that in this, like with the audio stuff, doing all the audio stuff and really most of the video stuff, that we're figuring this out a lot of the time as we go. Oh, yeah, along yeah. the way. And making lots of mistakes. And like that's why I did podcastmethod.co because they're so I've made so many mistakes along the way that cost money or time or both. I like figuring things out. Yeah. Like that, but that's the thing right there. Like I will, if I can't you figure like figuring something stuff out, out, like, you know, you Brie whenever figuring there's a, stuff out. whenever there's a buzz in here, you're like, Hattie, <laughs> like find a, like a it. studio like, buzz. I yeah, don't care hum. if it takes nine hours, I will find out what it is. I, I'm the kind of person that's just, I can get very into something, especially when it's a problem that I'm trying to fix. And I mean, I've just always been that way, especially on the computer with anything that I'm working on projects or anything. It's like, 
I'll forget to eat uh, and everything else because I'm just I can't look up. I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to get this done, and I I don't know. I'm always like, Patty, you could be a developer and not know it. No, she's well, she's well, her, sure. she's got a degree yeah, in all yeah. that. Yeah, stuff. Do I know. You really? Are yeah. you have a CS degree? I didn't know that. Um, I have a, a more design than development. Yeah, it's um, it's it's called communication design, uh, but it's graphic design and oh, advertising oh. background. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I need to pick it all back up. <laughs> I stole I stole her from I that industry. <laughs> you did. You did. Yeah. Because here's the thing about a lot a lot of the time designers or people who are in the design development space, um, if if they are good communicators, obviously Hattie's a good communicator, uh, then then they're already multidisciplined. They already know how to do lots of different things. Doing doing web design, graphic design, uh, marketing, um, development, writing. All of those things involve usually multiple disciplines at the same time. Can you use a computer? Okay, great. Do you understand usability? Do you, you understand user experience? Do you understand software? Do you understand presentation? Do you understand interaction? All of these things, you know, and, and then you add being able to communicate on top of that. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that always set me apart from the people that I was working with who were most of the time developers uh, or writers is that although they could communicate in their work, they weren't able to go and speak in front of a group or go and, and, and that's kind of what eventually took me in, in that this direction of sales is it because I, I would meet people and they'd be like, well, Hey, you, you can talk pretty good. And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, you can explain stuff like, yeah, <laughs> you know, because, uh, that was, that was an uncommon thing, you know, is being able to understand the, the technology, but also be able to communicate intelligently to people who do not understand the technology as and well as people who do. And help them understand it. Right. <laughs> and maybe that comes from, you know... Your uh, teacher, teacher family. Right, my teacher family. <laughs> uh, the fact that I have, you know, my, my, my grandfather was uh, a, a metallurgist and, a, and an engineer, and my uncle's a mechanical, you know, electrical engineer. And then, you know, on my mom's side, she's a teacher. Maybe it kind of, you know, came down that way. But I don't think that that matters. I think anybody who has that interest to, like, figure things out, out. I remember sitting, I used to have, because I was in such a small little tiny apartment thing, I had to have my computer set up in the closet. And oh. I would sit in my closet, and this is maybe my sophomore year of college, so 1904. <laughs> and I was sitting in my closet, and I would, uh, I had a Windows machine. It was Windows 3.1, 3.1. And I remember just sitting there looking in every folder on the computer to learn what was in there. What's, what's the system folder? What do you mean unhide folders? Right. Like, well, you couldn't hide folders back. No, you couldn't. But I would just, I would look inside of a folder. What is in there? We called them directories. And I would, what is in there? What is this file do? What if I rename it or delete it? What if, what if I, you know, put it over here? What is this? What's the difference between a DLL and an EXE? Like there were not, you know, maybe I could have gone and got a book on that, but these were secrets back then, you know, this oh, yeah. is, and like just studying that because I wanted to know, I never knew that, you know, in three or four years that would get me my first job as a, as an IT guy, as a system administrator, because I knew what was in every folder. Like 
I just put in the time because I wanted to know. My friends were like, "Are you got, are you going out?" And like, "No, I got to look in these folders." <laughs> like, I, I, I want to see what's in this in this directory first. Well, and I was gonna say that you know when you when you go and you discover something yourself instead of I'm gonna sit down and read a book. I feel like you absorb so much more and you remember yeah. so much more when you're genuinely just exploring something like that. Yeah, no, I, I strongly agree. I th- also think, you know, and Hattie, this is where I talk about you, like you're not here, but the the Hattie at my company is called Amanda. And yeah. I think like if you're, if you're starting a company, you need to find people that complement your weaknesses. You know, like you need people that can do things that you can't. And Hattie, like, I don't know you super well, but you, you seem like, like if there was a zombie apocalypse, I would want you on my team. You seem, <laughs> yeah. somebody that can, you seem like somebody that can matriculate and you know, just get stuff done. And like solve a problem. And I've seen that with you working well, with you, you on isometric. And I think it's so, man, like, Dan, this is a whole nother topic. But you have to be so careful about who you hire and who you work with. That's because, a good topic. Oh, my God, is it important. So, you know, Amanda at our company, she is... I think it's fair to say about me, I could be someone that can be um, maybe a little aggressive sometimes when a problem comes up. And maybe define that's not Define aggressive. Right Explain, give me an example of what that <laughs> sure, means. Sure, sure. Um, well, I think if you follow me in the news lately, maybe that's an example of it. But, you know, like sometimes with uh, working with publishers, you know, I tend to be like, look, we've got to do A, B, and C. This is what we need. Let's get down to it. That's not always the best approach with people on a a person level. And Amanda has all these, these soft skills. Um, and she's just, she's a really good compliment to me because she, she approaches problems in a different way. And she's also willing to learn anything. And she just like, you hang out with her and you just, you love Amanda from the word go. Like she just has this great warmth that emanates from her. And I just, I, I think when you can't solve problems, I think you need to have the talent to go and find people that can solve problems for you. Does, do you know where I'm coming from with that? Oh, totally. Hattie's yeah. one of those people. And it's, it's hiring people is such a challenge. Oh, we've for, had a challenge here. So many times we've <laughs> talked up, we've talked about it too much on, on this show, but it's, you know, you would, you would, you would think that people would be e- really easy to find because especially you know, in Austin, in Austin, because it, <laughs> or anywhere people all want, they all want a job. Right. They all want to do something fun. Uh, but finding someone that's the right fit, and especially when it's a small, small company, yeah, because like that's as a company uh, owner or founder or whatever, you're acutely aware that that money that you're spending that you're you're using to pay that that person is is truly in a literal sense that's your money. Yeah. It's like handing them. A hundred dollar bill. Right. From you, from, from you, you from your wallet. <laughs> like when my kid says, dad, 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 I gotta, you, you gotta get me this Lego set. I don't have this one. Oh. And it's $12. And I know like that's $12. It's not like $12 of food we won't eat, but like that's 12 bucks, you know? And for someone who's six, that's a lot of money. I want him to know that it's a lot of money if we're, you know, if I'm getting him that, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's like the money is coming out of my wallet to buy him that Lego set the same way that that might be going to pay somebody for an hour of work or whatever. And that, 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 that if I have these three employees that, and I'm paying them, whatever their salaries and workman's comp, whatever the nonsense you pay to the government, 
all of that, that's money that if I didn't pay them, I would have that money or my bank account would have it or my kids would inherit it or what, you know, whatever. Right. Or that would be a better monitor for Hattie, even though she's got a now she took I'm my, happy with my new monitor. She took mine. <laughs> but you stole it. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's like you're you're acutely aware of how oh, yeah. that money is going out. And for them to like not work then to be like not spending time or like, well, you know, even if it's an hour that, you know, that they spent just kind of BSing. Yeah. Like. Well, wait a minute, that hour that I just paid you for that you were BSing and not working, that's all right. But like that was, that could have been money that would go toward my kid's first car. Yeah. You know, and if you spent two weeks kind of not getting stuff done, yeah, that's not okay. And, and it's different because like, I remember working at a big company, big, big company, thousands of employees. And they were doing billions and billions of dollars. And like we had that great opportunity to say, you know what, we'll hire some people on this project. And if they, if they don't work out, it's all right. like they had that kind of money. Um, but when it's you and you're running your own business and you take on that first employee or the first few employees, mm-hmm. what was that like for you? Well, I did it at such a young age that it, it feels kind of old hat by now. Do you know what I mean? Well, tell, um, tell the I people. Think, sure, sure, sure. I think it's, I, I think that good bosses, I think that good leaders feel it as a burden and not a dictatorship. Like my approach has always been, we're in this together. I will delegate things to you, but my job is to get into the trenches with you and knock any roadblock that you have out of the way, which is why at our weekly meeting, my first question is always like, what do you need? Is there anything that's holding you up from doing your job? Because, you know, ultimately as the leader, it's, you know, this is, this is Heinlein Starship Troopers, I think talks about this a lot, how it's, it's a deep, deep moral responsibility to lead people. You know, it's, it's not, it's not fun. It, it makes you lose sleep. Um, but, I, I think it's so hard to find good people. This is the best way I've I've figured out to hire people is you you interview with them and anyone can sit through an interview. It doesn't mean anything. And they can come recommended to you, they can have a good resume. We give people at GSK a a small paid project um for you know usually two, three weeks. And we do that, we bring them on the team and we see what happens. And it's kind of like throwing someone into the pool and seeing right. if they're going to swim. Right. Because I have to tell you, Dan, this is this is a true story. Probably three times out of five, if you give someone a project where they're going to have to take some initiative on their own, and there's not a path laid out for them, and there's not a boss sitting over their shoulder saying, do A, do B, do C, um, three times out of five, I end up not hiring that person in the long run. Mm. Because either they... They show some personality trait where they're hard to work with when stress comes up or, you know, they're unable to improvise. I actually, something I'm amazed is I've heard people say, that's not my job. And I have to tell you, in an indie dev team, there's nothing that's not anybody's job. Right. Like there may be something someone is better qualified to do than someone else, but we're all in this together. And, you know, I don't care 
what position anyone ever has at my company. Like, um, you know, in Heinlein's Starship Troopers, one idea I thought that was really cool was, um, you know, everybody drops and fights with all the troops in Heinlein's Starship Troopers universe. Like, even the chaplains and cooks, they go down and fight with the mobile infantry. And I feel like that's a really good template for game development. Like, no matter what you're doing at our company, you go down and you help ship the game. Right. Like, like no in, matter what. In a small yeah. company, like, yeah. that's, you do every single thing that you Everyone need to do. Everyone has, like, five jobs. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> yeah. that's the way it has to go. There and isn't there's a, a beauty thing in that. Of yeah. just, no, that's no, I don't, I don't do that. No, you can't hire people like that. Like, I and, have to, I have to say, there have been people here mm-hmm. who've worked here. Like, we used to have in our old office, we used to have a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So it was great. Everyone was really cool about putting like their own stuff in the, in the dishwasher and we'd run it. I miss that dishwasher. <laughs> I miss that thing too. And now we don't have a dishwasher. We just have like a little tiny little sink with a tiny little drying rack on it. And like you, you know, even little things like that of like, maybe I'm not going to, you know what? Maybe I'm not gonna, just going to make a, a coffee because I'll have to wash that. <laughs> You know, it's little things like that. Like now I'm just not going to make a coffee because I don't want to go and wash it myself because I can't put it in there and just to have the machine. Little things like that can affect the way that you work. And it's interesting because when you have that feeling of, well, someone else will get it. Oh, if I just put the coffee mug in the sink, someone else will put it in the dishwasher or someone else will wash it. And that doesn't happen. Like that, that changes. And I feel like that's how it is with a small business. If you don't do it, if you don't have the attitude of, oh, I better do that, even if it's not mine, it's just, it needs to get done. I did that. Why? It, well, I, because it had to get done. Well, how did you know it had to get done? Because if, if I didn't do it, I don't know if someone else was going to do it, so I had to do it. Dan, I had to figure out, this was two years ago, and you know, I'm a developer, I am a businesswoman. I don't care about the tax code. That's not why I got into this business. I don't have a personal interest in that. But I had to sit down and learn about different tax classifications and all these other things to figure out how to lessen my tax burden. And it's not that I have any interest in that at all. But if I hadn't sat down and taken that initiative to read some books and to to figure out what the best course of action was for my company, we would be hemorrhaging, you know, what was it? It was 20% more of our profit every single year because of some technicality that I'd rather not get into. You have to have that attitude of I am going to learn whatever it takes. And if you don't have that, don't get into this business. Go work for someone else because you're going to be better off. And I, I'm sorry. That's just a fact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, the last topic that yeah, I want to yeah, talk yeah. to you about. Um, I'm reading your Wikipedia page. Did you know how you have oh, a Wikipedia page? I am aware of that. Yeah. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I didn't realize that until we started uh, talking mm-hmm. yeah, on the show already as I was you know, looking up a couple of things. This uh, the tell talks about your career. Mm-hmm. You were inspired by the release of the iPhone. Yep. It's it's cool. Talks about your company. Mm-hmm. What was the host of the weekly isometric podcast? <laughs> podcast was launched in May of 2014 and discusses stories related to the video game industry. Woo has also written high profile essays and opinion pieces about issues related to feminism and antagonistic attitudes toward women in game development. 
Was that something that you thought you were going to have to deal with when you said, I want to make a video game? It's the worst part of my job, Dan. I'm telling you the truth. I would so much rather not do a second of that ever again and just do my thing. Um, it's, It's not a place I found myself wanting to go, but it's, it's someone needed to step up and talk about some of these things, uh, you know, and particularly with, with Gamergate. Um, yeah, I, I really never thought I'd be the, the third most targeted woman with that, but you know, here I find myself and it's, it's tough. It sucks. You know? I mean, how, how do you, do you feel, obviously when you mm-hmm. started this whole thing, you were saying to yourself, I really, I, I want to show everybody not only that I can make a great game, but that mm-hmm. I, as a woman, can make a mm-hmm. great game with other women and that we can we can have a lot of fun doing it. Right. And, it, you know, and then doing that now, you, you are you are somebody who gets put in the spotlight, not for that reason. Yeah. But for these other reasons. Yeah. It's, Is it's it discouraging to you? Oh my God. Yeah, Dan. It's, it's, it's hugely discouraging. I mean, I am... It's frustrating that I get conference invites all the time and people don't want to talk about my work or my company. They want me to talk about why it's like to be a woman in games. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's an important it's an important thing to address, but it also feels like it 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 disrespects the thing that I got into this industry to do. Yeah. I mean, I didn't Hattie's nodding. What do you think, Hattie? I'm just, yeah. you know, I I I feel for you because it's like yeah. you you went into it, you wanted to be the best game developer ever, not right. the best woman game developer. Ever. You know, right. like you, you just want to be really good at what you do, and yeah. this is distracting from it in a way. I feel like, oh God, is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but it's, it's, I, it's hard to describe, Dan. I mean, if I've seen my, I've hemorrhaged friends in this industry. One after another, after another, after another. And, you know, it, 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 I can take people going after me. What I can't take is seeing more friends of mine quit the industry because they're being harassed or threatened or people are, you know, threatening all these terrible things for them. And, you know, someone had to, to stand up. And to kind of address this stuff. And even yesterday on Thanksgiving, like people are like just saying the most awful things to me, writing me the most awful emails. Like it's it it hurts a lot to wake up every single morning and to read your Twitter timeline and have like a hundred people called you the worst person on earth overnight. And that hurts. But at the same time, it was it was I, I couldn't stand by and watch people attack my friends anymore. Does yeah. that make sense no, to you? No, it does. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you don't strike me from listening to you in your interviews, the show, reading your Twitter. You don't seem to be the kind of person who shies away from talking about a particular topic, whether it's the, the women in X industry or, uh, or the game brigade stuff or uh-huh. vaccinations or right. whatever, like, you're willing to share how you feel about it. Do you think that that also makes you a target because you are so willing to have an open conversation with people about it? Where other people, I, I think, are a little afraid like, to I don't jump get into, into that. I don't, I don't want to be, be involved in that. I, I know it does. 
I mean, it would be crazy to say it doesn't. Um, you know, it's a, but it's it's part of my personality. You know, um, just for whatever reason, it doesn't bother me to have a, a disagreement with somebody. Do you know what I mean? And I I don't know. It's like for me and the way I personally am built psychologically. Like if I didn't speak my truth, or just like you know Jim Dalrymple on you know Amplified, like he he will tell people like I'll tell you my opinion, right? And he certainly does if you read Loop Insight. Like it's a great site for that. And you know it's maybe it it does certainly get me into trouble. It certainly costs me a lot, but. I also think that when people respond to me, because I have a lot of fans too, and I think people, I think in my public persona, people respond to that, that honesty and that that self reflection and that ability to say I was wrong or I've thought about this or to, you know, state a controversial opinion with an open mind. I think I think ultimately I get more fans for that than I do enemies. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, so I think you have to be the most true version of you that you can be. And yeah, Dan, I think I've thought a lot about why you're successful as a podcast person. And like you and I are different people, but there is a a warmth and a genuineness that comes out on every single show that you do. And Hattie, you have this quality too. And I, I think when you have this job and you're, you're giving opinions to people, I think you just have to be, brutally honest with your your audience about what your passions are, about who you are as a person, about what your flaws are. This is a job that requires you to be the most true version of yourself that you can be because it's that emotional honesty that people respond to. So, you know, and that's just part of who I am. When I see something that's wrong, for me personally, I have to speak up about that. That's being true to me. Maybe that's not true of other people and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody that's, but that's a good point is that you need to kind of, and thanks for saying that, by the way, you need Mm -hmm. to, you need to focus on the things that you like to do. And if those things that you like to do are not harmful to other people, uh, then you should do them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of the Buddhist take on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's, I think what people often, you know, People often confuse these days a difference of opinion as an attack on somebody. Yeah. Um, In many cases, I think they can be. For example, uh, women should not be writing games. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. They know better. They shouldn't do that. Well, that is an attack. Okay. But I'm saying like if you were to say, I like Android, I like iOS – that's not that's not saying you're stupid for like or let's start a fight or about let's it. Start a fight about right. it. Um, and you know, and and it's like sharing. Uh, there's always like that hidden risk of sharing what you think other people will interpret it as some kind of attack or some kind of you shouldn't have that opinion. Right. Um, and and when your opinion is something that's not an oppressive one one that's accommodating, uh, even if it's a strong opinion, um, you know, even if, you know, and I mean, you know, we were joking about microphones before, but like, you know, I, I believe that a certain kind of microphone works better in one situation than it, than it might in another. And there are other people who say, well, it works fine for me. Um, I'm not saying like, 
and and I think it's important because I think in in many situations people are not saying I'm right and you're wrong as much as they're saying this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And and it's so hard because because of Twitter, because of the internet, because there are so many opinions out there now that people seem to jump so much to to side with one or another. And that's what I've seen in this whole thing that the, the Gamergate thing is that so many people are so ready to all of a sudden have such a strong opinion about something that I don't even understand how it affects them or why it affects them or, or why they care. Why or they anything. care. Right. Well, yeah, Dan, I was thinking about this in, in relation to you, uh, you know, this week, because, you know, you were telling me about some of the, the new shows that are coming on. And I was thinking about this. I was like, wow, what is that like for Dan Benjamin? Because, you have had people on your network with a host of views. And sometimes those views are in contrast with each other. Like you can't agree with show A and also agree with show B. Right. And, you know, podcasting or talk radio or, you know, this this genre is something that really rewards being honest with your audience. And I was thinking about for you how a really fundamental part of your psychology to me from the outside seems to be you can work with people professionally when I imagine maybe you don't agree with everything that they say or that they believe in, you know, because it's it's got to be the audience is going to respond to that or not respond to it. Right. I was thinking what a healthy, great attitude that is because it's something we're really lacking these days, the ability to just be in the same room when you disagree with someone. You yeah. see it in the political process. You see it in the tech industry. You see it with the video game industry. And, you know, if you're going to respect me as a person, you know, like like there are certain views where they don't respect me as an equal. And I have to very, like, we can't be friends at that point if you don't think I'm a person. But, you know, if you don't vote for the same party I do or right. use the same operating system I do or think that women should act this way or maybe why is a better strategy, I want us still to be friends. And I think that's a quality we really lack today. Yeah. You know, you think back to to uh, before the Internet. Right. Uh, where, you know, people understood and I don't I don't I'm not saying we still don't understand it, mm-hmm. but that that. It's possible for two people to have very different opinions and to talk about those things intelligently without feeling animosity toward the other person. Yeah. And I think that it's, there's, there are certainly issues where if – you know, and I'm trying to think of a good example. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you'll come up with one where, you know, if, if two people are – are debating something and it it's going to, okay, here's one traffic patterns. Cause it's a big one near where I live. They're talking about like putting a light here or not putting a light, you know, if you put a light there, it'll make it so that I won't, you know, it'll add 10 minutes onto my commute. And that's, that's going to affect how early I can get my kid to school. And that's going to mean I have to wake him up 10 minutes earlier. And that means we have to go to bed. To, like, there's all these things that like the one guy who measured the distance between the two stoplights that are already there and arbitrarily said it should go here. He, he or she wasn't thinking about the impact on this person's kid's bedtime. Mm-hmm. So like they're going to, that affects them on a very personal level. Right. But it seems like everything affects everybody today on the internet on a personal level. Yeah. And it seems like when 
when people are trying to, it almost always starts from like someone trying to, to help in some way saying, Oh, you should try this. It worked for me. Or, Ooh, if you're going to do that, watch out for this thing could be a problem. Mm-hmm. The people who, you know, who, who say, well, I use it. It's not a problem. They're all of a sudden their own integrity is like, it's being questioned. Right. Wait, you're, <laughs> no. you're saying I may, maybe have made a wrong decision, I made a wrong decision <laughs> right. but the decision yeah. feels right to me. Now they're questioning that. Now, how dare you tell me that the decision that I made for myself was wrong? You know, it's like, those are the kinds of things that we run into so much, especially like with Twitter, like the, having used Twitter, I, I remember when Twitter was uh, paging me on my, uh, on my cell phone, you wow. know, when I was getting texts and if I wanted to post something to Twitter, I would text it to that number and the other people who followed me would receive texts of me <laughs> saying that, that that's the thing that I was doing. That's old school, Dan. It's terrible. And the, the thing for me is I, I enjoy Twitter because it's a neat way for me to like find out what people I like are doing and oh this news broke I I heard about it here first like those things are neat and I'm at the point now with Twitter where I'm just giving up I mm-hmm. give up trying to have any kind of conversation with anyone on Twitter it oh, just it, someone's feelings are going to get hurt you know what it's always we something. could be we could be talking <laughs> I have these beautiful these amazing camera mount arms that that Brian Brushwood Brian Brushwood told me which ones to get because I saw a picture of his studio and you said those look awesome and I said man if we got those we could get rid of these tripods that we're always tripping over in and here we can't see each other through right. all the cables those would be perfect so I reached out to Brian I said Brian could you tell me what these these things are and he wrote back he said yeah here's here's the arm here's the mount you need for the camera here's a little swivel th- adapter thing man I got them and I installed them. And I put them up and I put a picture on, of it on Twitter and I said, check out the new camera mounts that we have in the studio. Thank you to Brian Brushwood for helping us out. Right away, first response, when you're getting ready to get some serious arms, you should look into these. <laughs> like that's oh. the first response. Like, you know what I'm the saying? The world and, is so cynical now. <laughs> he could have saved $8 and had a better arm if he'd gone with these. Like at this point. <laughs> You know what? I don't like, like the gray are you, is it really helping? Is that so? So, what's my response to this? Is it to like, should I be like, oh, damn it, I could have saved five dollars? Those <laughs> arms are better. I should have researched it more. I shouldn't ask Brian. Brian's a jerk for recommending. Now I hate Brian. Now I hate Brian, Brian for not recommending the right arm because the other ones that were they were black and these are brushed aluminum and I can't believe it's like Brian wants me to fail. These have these have three different places you can extend them from. Right. The other one has two. Right. Like, oh like it's like yeah. there's something. It's like and you know yes there were a lot of people who were like hey those are really cool where can I get those you know but like it. It's it's uh, there's so many opinions out there and and it, with Twitter a lot of the time it really does feel like you're just standing in the middle of a giant auditorium where everybody's talking and everyone's sort of shouting to be heard over everybody else and everyone's and already oh, angry about they, something I try I was oh. trying to sit back and think Brianna is does Twitter make me feel good anymore does being on Twitter make me feel or does it just bring negativity I don't know. Everybody's I, it, everybody's trolling everyone else. Yeah, 
I it's it's amazing, Dan. You know, my company announced a, a new game last week, and what's amazing to me is I can I'm at a career point where if I tweet something, like people write an article about it, and like so they write an article about it, and you have first, to be ten times, a hundred times more put off from oh, Twitter yeah. as I am. God, yeah. And you're still so, on there tweeting about vaccination. So right, yeah, two right, days right, ago right, before right. Thanksgiving, I was even tweeting about vaccinations. I'm like. How about have some human empathy for somebody, which is a crazy. Oh, yeah. You would you would you would suggest that like people not just completely hate on someone else. How dare you suggest that? Have some human empathy for someone just as a basic human being, even though their views are horrible, you know. But like I, I have this this article that comes out in a magazine and it's announcing a new game, a game that we're going to do that's going to give a women jobs. It's going to you know, it's going to be cool. It's going to give people new tools to work with. Like this is an industry publication that's talking about news relevant to the industry. Where does the conversation go? It automatically starts attacking me personally about what a horrible person I am. And then, like, it derails into, like, the Israel-Palestine conflict, you know, which is amazing. And I don't know. I could say for me personally, it it hurts, but I'm able to tune it out for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe it's like – I think about this and maybe it was like growing up in the South where I felt so different from everyone else. I mean, being a kid in Mississippi in the 80s and 90s and being super into computers and not caring at all about football, like I was definitely an outlier. So I think I'm just kind of comfortable with that, with people being upset or disagreeing with me. It, It truly doesn't bother me that much. No, I mean, I'm an Eagles fan in Texas and, you know, that's weird. Yeah, I'm married to a Yankees fan in Boston, yeah. so I can totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, but I just, I think, you know, I don't know how this, you know, exactly relates, but it's it's like it's one of those things that we can spend our time doing things that we really like and that hopefully help people, uh, or we can we can spend time debating things that, that don't matter. I don't know. Sure. It's It's sure. just like, you know... Focusing on doing your best work, on doing the things that 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 help you and help other people, and you know, there's this whole notion in Buddhism of, and it sounds kind of it sounds kind of wimpy, but when you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And that is, the, the they don't talk about it in these terms a lot, but the goal in Buddhism, if you think about it, is to be completely harmless. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a wimpy thing, but when you think about it, it's a kind of a beautiful thing, in that. If you're, if you're harmless, it means you're not causing any harm to anybody or anything. And right. it, you know, it's very, it's almost like it's, the world doesn't want you to be that way. The world wants you to have strong opinions, which I think a lot of us do mm-hmm. and, and to, to share those opinions, but it's tough to do that uh, without hurting people in the process. Even if you don't ever mean it that way, there's that silly expression, no good deed goes unpunished. And I think that it's it's so easy uh, to to misunderstand people to miss especially at work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody uh, had asked a question to to me and Merlin about you know how do you handle a work situation where somebody is like being sort of passive aggressive toward you and and saying oh I'd ask you to fix it but I know you'll never do that and you know questions like that like obviously that has no place at work, but it happens at work. Like it's going to happen there, you know? So I don't know. 
I think I'd fire that person. Yeah. <laughs> GSX, but that's just me. Yeah. So, so yeah. listen, what's what's yeah. the what's the, the next thing for you? You, you? What are you guys up to? What are you working on uh, that you can talk about and uh, pimp, pimp your stuff? What do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're uh, we're about to release Revolution sixty for PC, which we're very excited about. Um, if you're a gamer out there, and by the way, Dan, I'm going to turn you into a gamer at some well, point. Okay, that's yeah, my we mission. said that's we said we would talk about. We'll save it for yeah, the after yeah, yeah. dark. We'll, we'll talk about it in the after dark. But I was going to say uh, Revolution sixty is coming. Out for PC, we had to redo the controls because obviously touch events are not going to work on a PC. So it's more like typing of the dead. So <laughs> say say if you're um, in a scene and you're being betrayed, rather than like draw a shape, right now you might have to type the emotion that your character is feeling. So like betrayal <laughs> or anger or something like that. Like you would have to. So you end up typing. The, these events. If you played Revolution 60, which is very cinematic, um, you'll see what I mean, but it's a lot of fun. Um, also, we have two games coming out. Um, the first one that's going to be released is our experiment with Unreal 4 and releasing a game for Android. It's called Cupcake Crisis, <laughs> and it's a it's a game for children uh, that, you know, you can be a boy or a girl and play it, but it has some very positive messages for young girls that, you know, you can be an engineer too. It's basically about a, a very young girl that loves cupcakes so much she wants to build a cupcake machine. Mm-hmm. So you get to do that, and it's for kids like from two to five. Cool. So, um, yeah, that's coming out. And we have um, what we're calling Project Go-Go, a giant space cat. And it's basically um, some new tools that are coming out to let you release your own Danganronpa or a very visual novel kind of story. Very cool stuff. And you Thank are you. you do a show called Isometric. I do. It's a great show. It's, it's a, a great, great show. show. Ensemble yeah. cast. Yeah. And uh, you started this, I guess, I, I know I just read it in the Wikipedia uh-huh. page, but was it... Um, about six months ago. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more than that. Yeah. it's kind of been a crazy ride so far. It's yeah, been shocking. Yeah. And so they, people can find that uh, right, right here. here on Five by Five. Right here. Best network in the world. Thank you. You go to five by five TV slash Isometric, and uh, that's that's where you can go and subscribe, listen to the shows. That's you and uh, and Georgia and Maddie and Steve. Steve yeah, is the token, yeah. the token, the token man, token he man. Is, he is. <laughs> Can I tell you, we're talking to the folks over at DLC and yeah, Dana, you and I were talking about this. That show is so well produced. Oh my God. Am, Jeff I is am. amazing. We were, we were talking after that. I'm like, should we get some of the equipment they have? Like, that's mm-hmm. a really well produced show, but we we're actually talking to them about maybe doing a game of the year special. Oh, so cool. Like, yes. 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 Awesome. like would you give us a thumbs up for oh, that? Like, of course. We should get together and like talk about what we as hosts on this network think the game of the year should be. And then it will be like three girls and three guys. So it's That'd like, be fair. it's perfectly balanced and we can have everyone's views. There. That's awesome. I would love to yeah. Let's talk. That. We'll talk more about that. that. Yeah. So anyway, if you want, if you want to follow, Brianna on Twitter. She is Space Cat Gal, but it's Space Cat, the K, it, it, K instead of a C, Space Cat Gal. We'll put that and all of these other uh, things that we have talked about as best uh, uh, as, I, as I can uh, while I was talking to you, putting them into the show notes, which can be found at 5by5.tv slash grit slash 61. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. And uh, obviously, we, we've got to mention that the Patreon. Thank you to everybody who's uh, who's been supporting Five by Five in this show on on Patreon. It's something we've been working on hard, and we're really close to our next goal. So uh, so go there. Every little bit helps. You want to give us a buck? Give us a buck. I'm going to do more. Do more. It's um, my goal 
uh, for that would be $2 per listener. If we had $2 per listener on this network, like I can't, I don't even, ima- I can't even imagine the amazing position we'd be in. Like that's a, that's the dream. So, you know what? Give, give us a buck, give us two bucks or give us nothing and keep listening because the shows will continue to be free uh, forever. So thank you everybody who has supported or is thinking about it. And uh, thanks Brianna for being on the show and don't hang up because we'll do a little after dark here. Sounds great. Uh, and, uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you.